Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And we are back with our second installment in our Oscar Contender series. We'll be talking about an updated version of categories for today. So we have international feature, animated feature, and animated short. So we switched out documentary feature with the short because... Writing with Fire, our fifth nominee that neither of us have seen, isn't out yet, and I think it's coming very soon, at least streaming in March. So we're waiting for that just so we can see all the nominees, have a fair assessment, just like the Spirit Awards that voting is due this week. I need to submit my votes for those categories. I've been taking the voting very seriously. I've watched like everything (laughs) on that screener portal. So I'm very excited Mm -hmm. to submit my nominations or my winners rather and see how well they translate. Yeah, I think animated feature and animated short talking about both of those categories together will be good today. And then we can talk about documentary short with documentary feature once we get to that. But I'm excited to dig into these categories. These, we will give short reviews of the movies. We won't like go into them as specifically as we did last week with our technical categories. But yeah, I think that mm-hmm. these are a unique group of nominees, especially, oh my God, I can't wait to talk about the animated shorts and whatever <laughs> was going on there. <laughs> I was going to say, which category are you going to talk about it could have been multiple it really it really could have been <laughs> they were a bit wild yeah before we get into international feature let's just go through i think some news that we have so the oscars they introduced this fan favorite poll where you can tweet up to 20 times a day sharing your favorite movie this is like their way i think to try to engage audiences but i mean it's just a terrible idea in my opinion But we got the news that Cinderella, yes, that Cinderella that was on Amazon Prime (laughs) is currently leading the Oscars fan favorite poll. One, how do you feel about this idea of this Oscars Mm -hmm. hashtag of sorts? They won't receive an actual Oscar, but they'll still be recognized in some way. And two, how do you feel about Cinderella? Well, I haven't seen Cinderella. Um, Oh, you're in for a treat if you ever watch it. I'm... (laughs) Since this isn't a real Oscar, I don't think I'm obligated to have to watch this movie. Or I saw that the fan favorite, it's going to be narrowed down to five. And then from that five, we'll have like a winner or like an announced favorite Mm -hmm. at the Oscars. Again, like, what does this mean? Is this their version of the popular Oscar without having all the backlash? Yeah, it's it's funny because part of me like says... Make it Cinderella. You know what? Let's have it be this bad movie and just prove to them that it's a bad idea. And the other part of my brain is like, they're going to rig it and give it Spider-Man No Way Home. And that's the way that it is. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does have those feels of like Marvel trying to get in there with their Mm -hmm. box office head. And yeah. And ABC. Everyone talking. Yeah. Have you been participating in this or no? I've just been submitting Dune whenever I see it come up on an ad. I'm like, great, let's do it. (laughs) I haven't been, but I feel like I need to start now. But I'm obviously going to pick like Annette and Benedetta and movies like that. that have no chance in winning just because. Just to distract from Cinderella, namely Mm -hmm. now. (laughs) Right. And you can also submit your favorite movie moment of the year. So I'm like, great. Uh Okay, Peter and the Rope. (laughs) 
Like, what are the most unhinged moments of the year that I can pick? Baby Annette's birth. I was going to say definitely Annette. I want them all in a montage. And our other big piece of news we have is just that the SAG Awards are this Sunday. I'm so curious what will end up happening here. Do you think that we're going to see anything crazy happen at the SAG Awards? Or do you think it's going to go kind of as people expect? And what do I even mean by as people expect? I guess just following the Golden Globes lead or going with like best picture frontrunner status. Ensemble could just be really chaotic. I think if Belfast wins, it's like, okay, we expected this. But if anything else wins, it's like, one, thank God. But two, mm-hmm. okay, this might rustle some feathers for the Oscars. And I think with the acting awards, this is our one chance for Lady Gaga to come through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can she do it? And I could see it happening, you know. it It's possible with the expanded membership to include influencers TikTokers are voting, potentially. I mean, they're allowed to vote. I don't know if they're going to vote, but our screening for being the Ricardos, remember there were people from Bravo shows that were there, and that was a guild screening. So we have no idea really who's going to vote for these awards, but I would bet Lady Gaga is a good possibility there. I'm not predicting her, but... I'm not either, but it could happen. It definitely makes it more of a fun viewing experience. Yeah. Are you going with uh, Chastain or Kidman? I'm probably going to go with Kidman. Me too. And then with the others, it feels very much like an Oscar race. Like Mm -hmm. they're all the same pretty much or the top two. And it's like, where are they going to go? Do you think there will be surprises? I actually think Troy Kotzer could surprise in supporting actor over Cody Smith McPhee, given just that it Mm -hmm. is a really populist body. That's a performance that is being campaigned. And it's something I could see this group wanting to celebrate and... Cody Smith McPhee I think people have been looking for places for him to lose this season and this could be where it could happen I don't know if I'm gonna stick with my Troy upset prediction mainly because I do want Cody to win I just kind of want him to sweep the whole season and for it to be that but I think Will Smith has actor kind of in the bag that just feels very sag like to go for the Mm -hmm. populist pick there and same with Ariana DeBose for West Side Story I mean I would love if Kirsten Dunst somehow won but I do think it'll be DeBose for ensemble I think you're right like I'm okay with anything winning other than Belfast including don't look up anything Mm -hmm. (laughs) and here's why don't look up winning here it just tells me this group wants star power if Belfast wins we're in for a serious problem down the road with the power of the dog potentially losing picture so I'm going to be crossing my fingers for anything else I kind of have a feeling that Coda could sneak by and take Ensemble as well. I would love that. I think that would be a great win. And then Stunt Ensemble. I mean, we have to talk about it. I'm hoping for Dune. No Time to Die is currently leading with Gold Derby, and that is kind of shocking me. Yeah, this category is tricky because I think that Common Sense initially will say Dune should win, but they never go for the best picture or like the prestige pick here. We've had movies like Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 1984, Avengers Endgame. Like I'm torn Mm -hmm. between No Time to Die and Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's where I see it. But Mad Max Fury Road did win here years ago. And I know people are keen to compare Dune and Mad Max Fury Road. So that could Mm -hmm. happen. So yeah, so the SAG Awards are this Sunday. Let us know what you're predicting, who you think's going to win, and 
we will see you after the show next week. So starting off, we'll talk about Best International Feature. The nominees here are Drive My Car, Flea, The Hand of God, Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom, and The Worst Person in the World. I think this is a pretty good group of nominees. We'll get to like write-in votes and everything like that. But our first nominee here is Drive My Car. This is directed by Hamaguchi. It was Japan's submission to the Oscars. The description here. After his wife's unexpected death, Yusuke Kafuku, a renowned stage actor and director, receives an offer to direct a production of Uncle Vanya in Hiroshima. There, he begins to face the haunting mysteries his wife left behind. This film has taken the season by storm, I will say quite unexpectedly. It premiered at Cannes. I actually didn't see it at Cannes. I'm sorry to say that, but when you have to pack your days in with scheduling the festival, it's just really, really hard. And I regret not making time for it there, even though I saw a lot of great films. But it did win screenplay there. It then won the Best Picture Awards at the New York Film Critics Circle, the Los Angeles Film Critics Association, and the National Society of Film Critics winning all three of those prizes, the first film since The Social Network to do so. As far as Japan goes at the Oscars, it's in, if you look at the countries and like how many nominations they've had and submissions, they're ranked fourth. They have four wins and 17 nominations. It's no secret to the internet that you don't love Drive My Car or to me because I saw it with you. (laughs) But I think let's just start with how you feel about this movie and why it doesn't work for you. I haven't seen it again, but I feel like a second viewing is maybe required for viewers like me who don't. I mean, I had trouble with Power of the Dog the first time, so I know I should see this again, but it was just a difficult viewing for me. And I'm glad there's so much praise for an international feature and that it got into so many categories, but I just didn't connect with it like other people did. So maybe I'll give it a try again. I know everyone wants me to. I'm going to go again in a couple of weeks um, if you do want to come with me, if we want to try again (laughs) for round two. I'm going to bring my sister along, who's also very hesitant about the runtime. So I did have a friend who, is it streaming? It's going to be on HBO. Oh, right. That too. But he somehow watched it in segments. And I was like, maybe that's what I need. No, don't do that. That's like the when the Irishman, when that thing came out that was like how to make it a miniseries. Oh no, don't do that. You got to feel the well, weight of the whole story. Well, that was the issue. <laughs> so I guess since you're going again, you like it enough to do that. Mm-hmm. So what did you like about your first viewing or I guess meditating on it since then cuz I think it's grown on you. Yeah, definitely. So I will say like our first time viewing experience was not optimal. Like we had a pretty tough crowd. It was 2 p.m. on a Sunday, which is like when we hit 3.30, that's News. nap time. I think that's just a, it's a tough time for a long meditative film. But I started noticing something when I left the movie, which is that I started just thinking about it all the time. Like I would be out on a walk and I would start thinking about a specific scene in the movie or a specific character that I had never thought about before. And it's pretty rare when I don't feel it right away at the end of the movie and it like comes and creeps up on me later so I I have to say I mean I've thought about it yeah every single day since seeing it which I watch a lot of movies and that does not happen hardly ever I think it happened with two or three movies this year I'm going to save a lot of my like deep dive analysis comments for in a couple weeks when we talk about adapted screenplay and director because I think that 
the way that Hamaguchi directs this film is like pretty astonishing stuff. The realism that's there, it's incredibly delicate. It's very restrained. The performances are very restrained, even though they're dealing with topics that are incredibly challenging and that get a lot of emotion out of you as a viewer and out of each other as fellow actors. I I feel like I have a lot to say about that that I will save. Additionally, I mean, you know this, I am such a literature nerd and it's playing with language throughout its screenplay and just seeing that, how it plays with Chekhov, how it plays with different languages is so fascinating and it requires such a commanding voice at the helm incredible performances here too i think i have a different favorite performance in the movie every time i think about it it changes all the time should have been nominated for ensemble i can agree with that okay good i think the pacing is incredible that is probably a take you don't want to touch and that's okay um (laughs) but i also just love the way that this tight space of this red sob that our protagonist in the story drives and his relationship with the Saab and with his driver and with that confined space is just very, very unique and compelling. So I do like this movie. It has stayed with me quite a bit. The support of this movie, I think, did catch me by surprise because it's a three-hour Japanese film about grief. Like Those movies never get recognized, so I'm happy that it's here. Next up, we have Flea, which is Denmark's submission. Denmark overall has four wins and 14 nominations at the Oscars. So Flea was directed by Jonas Poet Rasmussen, and it's about the extraordinary true story of a man, Amin, on the verge of marriage, which compels him to reveal his hidden past for the first time. In just an internationally focused discussion, because this is our documentary international animated feature that got into all three, we'll kind of break down in each category how we feel about it being there it's mostly in danish but also includes russian dari and then some newsreels in swedish french and english so i think this story this is another one that has kind of crept up on me Mm -hmm. i did a second rewatch now that it's on hulu and i still really connected with the story i also love that there's a smaller crowd of people here versus drive my car but they have this like really ecstatic emotional connection to this movie. And I think that's great. I love when films like that are recognized. So in terms of its presence in this category, how do you feel about it? I think it's a good nomination here. I also like feel the same way in that it like crept up on me. I watched this initially as a part of Sundance at home and just didn't really feel that connected to it from my couch and that is just a problem of sometimes with these film festivals at home like you're just not going to feel connected to everything if you're watching too much at home and you have distractions happening and everything like that but Mm -hmm. when I saw it at New York Film Festival I decided to like give it another shot and I really liked it I was hooked like from the moment that it started it would be one of the ones that I would pick in this category as one of the five best. When I'm looking at the short list, it would have made my personal five. So I'm happy that it's here. I think it is a really inventive film. I know we're not talking about the like fact that it is a documentary so much today, but it's really cool, I think, to see a documentary get love across multiple different categories. And I'm happy that this is here. A lot of times in international feature, we are dealing with films that have like very serious topics. This is no Mm -hmm. exception here. 
And I think it is a really important story. It is very inviting in like how it approaches these topics because I think making it animated, making it a documentary, making it 90 minutes, that actually can draw people in to learn more. So I think it was very successful and I'm happy that it's here. Yeah, I think the structure of the movie works really well too in this like very intimate interview setting of the character and he goes back through his story saying that he's never revealed this to anybody before. So I think in that moment as a viewer, that's when you're hooked. It's like, okay, so we're going to be the first people to know this. Like what happened? Mm -hmm. What is so traumatic that he can't even tell his partner about his husband? And I think as the story goes on, I mean, it's a very depressing story, Mm -hmm. like incredibly hard to understand because it's such a unique experience. And I think his journey in trying to flee Kabul and the city that's being overtaken um, you learn about the political sides of things but also his family and trying to survive and then his sexuality and trying to leave behind who he is but also doesn't want to be and seeing all those things come together was like wow this was amazing Mm -hmm. and I love it's not really the conclusion but that is one of them of the movie. And I was really happy with how that happened and what it makes you feel. Yeah. I also want to point out that the director of this movie is one of the kindest people I've ever interacted with in the film <laughs> oh. industry. Like he was so, so nice. I was, I volunteered for this screening at New York Film Festival and he was just like, you could tell he was very overwhelmed and really excited to be there and was just like mm. very, very kind. Um, when he came in with all the neon people. So I'll Mm -hmm. definitely be rooting for him in the future and we'll be rooting for Flea at the Oscars to do well. Mm -hmm. I mean, the nominations are obviously a good reward, but it would be cool if it won, at least in one place. Okay, next up we have The Hand of God (laughs) from Italy. Description here, in 1980s Naples, young Fabietto pursues his love for football as family tragedy strikes shaping his uncertain but promising future as a filmmaker. This was directed by Paolo Sorrentino. When we think of Italy at the Oscars, they have the most wins in this category with 14, and they have 32 nominations. They've had a bit of a dry spell, though, recently, and this is Italy's first nomination since Sorrentino won for The Great Beauty in 2013. (laughs) What did you think of The Hand of God? It's a pretty chaotic movie, and honestly, I'm surprised it made it in here. And I think it did because of Italy's track record, but what a weird movie to put in. And it's like kind of this whole year is like a slew of semi-autobiographical movies. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming Fabietto is a version of Sorrentino himself. And it's these like vignettes going through his life of what has impacted him. And some of those things I understood and it does flow well, but it's just very bizarre so sorrentino just to start out usually doesn't work for me and that's okay we all have filmmakers that we struggle with or movies that don't work for us i mean you you felt that way about drive my car Mm -hmm. this is my movie that i feel that way about for an autobiographical film it just felt so mean and very cold and like detached from the images we were receiving I think that this movie wants you to know that it's about big ideas. It's like, ooh, look at this. This is a big idea. I'm, But I'm like, why? What? What is the emotional connection? I just, I felt nothing watching this movie at all. Nothing. And let me tell you, 
everyone here knows that I am, you know, I love erotic thrillers. I'm not shy when it comes to talking about sex scenes in movies or anything like that. I mean, we play smash or pass for God's sakes, but there, there's a scene in this movie. I was just absolutely beyond horrified at what was happening on the screen. Yeah. Thrown aback. I was completely. I yeah, it was it was really bad. And again, like that usually doesn't bug me, but here, no thanks. <laughs> I'm so good. It's like that entire movie is kind of like the scene where it's like, why are we showing this? But also, I understand how he's maturing. And I will say though that I did like the family aspect while those were on screen, like the parents. I do agree that, you know, like the mom and dad have this cute little whistle they do to each other, but it didn't like get me all the way there in believing this relationship. Or I guess I wish it would have been more developed. It's so clear that Sorrentino feels very indebted to Fellini through the highly stylized images, through the autobiographical nature of it all, but it just falls so short to me of that because ultimately with Fellini movies for me like they're memorable and I feel very connected to them throughout my viewing experience I understand why people like this it's just it's just not for me and I think that's okay I did think that the young actor was good though Filippo Scotti he was great I liked him I think the movie to me was very much less of like what am I trying to learn here and more of like this is the feeling of nostalgia for his childhood and he is showing us what he remembers or some glorification of that beautiful images though tons of beautiful images Mm -hmm. and a great score we've had great international scores this year next up we have lunana a yak in the classroom this is bhutan's first nomination and i think it's another reason why they put it in a second time so i'm very excited about that it was directed by Pao Troning Dorji, and it's about a disillusioned school teacher who's transferred to the most remote school in the world, cut off from modern life deep in the Himalayan glaciers. In a classroom with no electricity or even a blackboard, he finds himself with only a yak and a song that echoes through the mountains. Lunana Hive, rise up. <laughs> <laughs> this was adorable and kind of threw me off guard. You feel like you're getting this pretty standard piece, and it is pretty transformative and cathartic. I enjoyed this one. How did you feel about Lunana? I really liked it. I thought it was so cute. And not to, you know, as a teacher, not to be like teaching is the most important, fulfilling occupation in the world, but it is. And this movie definitely shows that and I love the journey that our main character takes here. I actually love how much time the film spends having this character like get to this very remote location, Lunana, mm-hmm. where he's supposed to teach. And of course, like he's not that thrilled about it. That's putting it mildly. Like he doesn't really even want to be a teacher, mm-hmm. let alone go to this remote area where he's so at the beginning like connected to technology. Like he won't get off his iPod or his phone. Like these are all things that he really needs and to the point where he's even being like pretty rude to the people in these villages who are taking him up to Lunana but then of course like yeah it's a bit predictable with where it goes you can kind of guess Mm -hmm. what's going to happen but I thought it was really sweet it charmed me it also is a pretty easy watch I mean these little kids at the school are just so cute 
And yeah, I mean, the yak in the classroom is as ridiculous as it sounds, but it does actually really (laughs) fit in the story. I also love the journey of it. I think the themes that they expose are pretty vast and pretty impactful as well. Mm -hmm. I thought the teaching moments were also great. I think any scene with younger kids who are learning or excited to learn Mm -hmm. always gets me choked up and... Pemzam, who is like the school captain, she was adorable. So cute. The story to me, it kind of hit me like Ted Lasso did, where it was like standard fare that really hits harder than you expect. So I was very happy with that. And it's based on a true story. And I think that helps push the film's agenda and its realistic ending even further. I highly recommend it. It's available to rent right now. And I feel like it should be getting back in theaters hopefully soon. And I like this being an international feature. You mentioned earlier how these nominees here are usually pretty depressing and morose. Mm -hmm. And I think last year we had that especially with like Better Days being about bullying and Mm -hmm. suicide and collective, Covadas Aida, like very heavy movies, Mm -hmm. like well made. And I love them, but I think they shifted here. We got Hand of God, this like more lighthearted movie as oh well. Oh my god, no. And I thought Hand of, Hand of God is like cruel, like beyond cruel, I think. I was going to say Hand of God is like depressing as hell, but this and Worst Person <laughs> in the World, I'm like, okay, this is good. I don't know if I would call Worst Person in the World lighthearted though. At the beginning, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything that happens, but it definitely has, yeah. it doesn't, it's not about like a depressing social issue necessarily. Right. Yeah. Just like, how reality and love can be depressing. Yeah. <laughs> well, nice transition there. <laughs> Our last nominee is the worst person in the world from Norway. Description here, the chronicles of four years in the life of Julie, a young woman who navigates the troubled waters of her love life and struggles to find her career path, leading her to take a realistic look at who she really is. This was directed by Joachim Trier. We talked about this on our top five movies of the year list. It was a rare film that made both of our lists. So we are definitely pretty high on it. Norway at the Oscars, they haven't won any yet, um, but they have received six nominations. This movie was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay. So we'll be talking about it more um, when we get to that category. Mm -hmm. But how do you feel about it showing up in international feature? I love that it's here. I think I will save a lot of my discussion for screenplay because I was mostly happy it showed up there as well. I think it's a really deserved nomination. But this movie is also kind of about us. It's about millennials struggling through love and finding their place in the world. And Julie Renata Reinsva is just so honest and forward about everything. And that kind of takes us to places where I wouldn't expect. And that kept me on my toes. I love the structure. We have talked about this movie a little bit. So I'll save some more moments for screenplay. Yeah, I think a lot of what really works for me will come up in screenplay when we talk about that. But I love the performances here. I think this movie doesn't work without someone like Renata Reinsva in that role. She makes Julie so believable so relatable as unfortunate as that might be at times for me when I watch it I'm like oh my god been there done that goodbye (laughs) no thank you but yeah she's just tremendous I wish she would have gotten nominated for best actress Anders Danielson Lee who plays Axel I will 100% be talking about him when we get to supporting actor in some way or another (laughs) 
I mentioned this also on our top movies of 2021, but he gives a monologue near the end of the movie that I think is just breathtaking, acting, Mm -hmm. writing, everything. But my personal journey again with this movie, I saw this at a 9 a.m. screening at Cannes and knew nothing about it going into it and ended up loving it there, but didn't really think it would go anywhere, really. Like, I thought it was just Mm -hmm. one of these, like, very fun European films that definitely harkens back to some of those 70s movies centering women. But, yeah, I I had no idea we would be where we are today, almost a year later, with two Oscar nominations. Very, very exciting. Congratulations and thank you, Neon. (laughs) (laughs) That's two movies out of this category. Mm -hmm. So who would your write-in vote be for this category? This is a category where I thought, like, okay, I could have five write-ins if I wanted to. Like, I really could go deep. The pick that you have is definitely one of my options that you're going to share. But I am going to go with the Paul Verhoeven treat, Benedetta. I have been on the record recommending this. It is a romp. Total wild ride. I think it would have been so fun for it to show up here. It actually says very provocative things about women. And I think that the performances are just fantastic. Love Charlotte Rampling. Love Virginia Fiera. I think it's just, it's so much fun. I actually haven't watched it since I saw it over the summer, but I really need to return to it. Mm -hmm. That is a really fun one. Yeah, I wanted a fun pick here. (laughs) (laughs) My pick is a hero. I've said this before. I mean, I think you would agree that it should be in over one of these nominees, Mm -hmm. but it's an astonishing piece. We could have had original screenplay with just international contenders. Yeah, we totally could have. It makes you extremely anxious watching this, but I just think that speaks to Farhadi, who has been nominated before. Mm -hmm. So he has a great track record. I'm excited for whatever he does next. I love to hero. Highly recommend. Go watch it on Prime. And what do you think should win? Obviously the worst person in the world. <laughs> That's an easy answer. Who do you think should win? I agree. I think the worst person in the world should win. Maybe my answer to this question will change after I see Drive My Car again. I don't know. I think the worst person in the world is just going to have this like intense staying power with me. And I'm going to think about it for a really long time and recommend it to mm-hmm. my friends and family and everyone else for years to come. And who do you think will win? I think Drive My Car will win. I think its appearance in picture, director, and adapted screenplay, and it's just total domination over the season shows that, mm-hmm. and I, I think it'll be victorious. What about you? I agree. Definitely Drive My Car here. I feel like it still has that momentum, and it's been out for a while, so it's been the one to beat. Next up, we have Best Animated Short Film. I am so ready to talk about these. Wow. Are you? I I am. It's going to be a journey. Our nominees here, we have Affairs of the Art, Bestia, Box Ballet, Robin Robin, and The Windshield Wiper. So just going through them really quickly, and then we can kind of summarize as a group how we feel about them or what sticks out. Affairs of the Art, it's on YouTube. It was nominated for Best Short Animation at the BAFTAs. And I think what sticks out here is the team behind it. Joanna Quinn is the director and Les Mills is the writer. They have two previous Oscar nominations, three Emmys, and four BAFTAs. So they are beloved in this category. Bestia, also on YouTube, it was nominated for Best Animated Short Subject at the Annie's and the only one from this list to do so. Box Ballet, it's on Vimeo. 
Robin to Robin. It's on Netflix. It's by Ardman Animation, which did Wallace and Gromit. It's voiced by Richard E. Grant and Gillian Anderson. And then The Windshield Wiper, it's also on YouTube, and it premiered in the director's Fortnite section at Cannes. So out of the five, what stuck out to you? What did you like? This is a really, really bizarre group of short films. I know we get bizarre short films every year, but this group, I just, as I was working my way through them, I was like, okay, more nudity, another animal that's decapitated. What's happening here? Like, it was just, everything was just so bizarre. And it was just a journey to watch these from start to finish. And then you have Robin Robin, which Affairs of the Art, Bestia, Box Ballet, and The Windshield Wiper. Those are your kind of typical, like, bizarre adult fare that you'll get here with maybe really unique, highly stylized animation, but tackling really difficult or strange, again, topics. And then Robin Robin, this is like your kid's short film that appears in the mix. How did you feel about them as a group? And then maybe we can give our honorary award for most bizarre short. We do get weird animated shorts. That's fine. But that is all of them this year. Mm -hmm. And there's not one that really sticks out to me. Robin Robin reminds me of the Gruffalo. These ones that kind of cater to children, have music. But the songs really weren't doing it for me in this one. We had naked women in all four other shorts in some fashion. Part of me is like, why did we need this? Box ballet was the cutest. And Bestia was about the Chilean government and going undercover in a very abstract way. Mm -hmm. So there were certain elements of these that I liked. But overall, I was kind of underwhelmed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of speechless. <laughs> Some of them have stuck with me more than others, but I feel like the one that I've been seeing on Twitter, at least, that people are praising is the windshield wiper. What did you think of this one? To me, this felt like if I were ranking them, it'd be number five. Oh, really? Okay. Or of like how the Academy would feel about it, because the animation is great. Mm-hmm. But the story felt really disconnected from it. And this guy in a coffee shop breaking the fourth wall and saying, what is love? It's like, no, thank you. It's like an experience we get all the time where we live. I feel like I could run into this guy any morning when I'm out to get my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) This one had my favorite animation. So I think I understand why people are liking it. It does make sense that it like premiered at Cannes, having this style Mm -hmm. of animation and being about A more existential question, like that makes sense to me, but it wasn't the one that I connected with most. So we're not going to do write-ins for the short categories. There was one from the shortlist, though. It's called Us Again. It's a spark short, and I thought that was actually pretty cute. It's a really simple idea, as many Pixar Disney shorts are. And I'm kind of surprised that they didn't go for one of those Pixar shorts like they usually do. We also had Burrow last year. Oh, yes. I remember Burrow. Who do you think should win? I actually think that Bestia should win. Yes, it is very strange, but I love the animation here. It was so spooky. It's actually based on a true story. It's based on real events, which is fascinating. It's about this woman, Ingrid, who she works for the Chilean Intelligence Directorate, And she has this very weird relationship with her dog. And she actually used her dog to torture people. 
yes real like look this woman up after i watched the short i read all about this and i think it's just it's a really unique concept for an animated short film it's directed by hugo covarubius and yeah i think i would say that this one should win i think if it didn't have the scene where she's naked that maybe i would really feel like it could win my initial answer is none of them but i will say that i think bestia should also win i think it was interesting to use the figurine that they did for her Mm -hmm. but out of all of them that was the one that i liked the most wanted to finish watching and who do you think will win i really think it's a mixed bag right now i feel like robin robin could take it but the gruffalo which was like a huge production that didn't even win and this is not better than that so I really don't know. Without a big front runner like last year, we had If Anything Happens, I Love You, Hair Love Before That, Bow, Dear Basketball, mm-hmm. all these shorts with either big names behind them or a lot of support. I don't think we have that this year. So I think it's going to be harder to predict. I'm just going to go with Bestia. I feel like that or Robin Robin. Yeah. I have Robin Robin. I think just it being on Netflix, it being the easiest watch topically here of the group, it is long. It does have a longer runtime, but the animals are so cute. I'm sorry. I know you didn't like this one, but I thought they were so cute. I wanted to like squeeze all of those little felt animals. They were so annoying. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I I think anytime Uh, we have big stars attached, like Richard E. Grant and Gillian Anderson, Richard E. Grant's been nominated before, Gillian Anderson is an Emmy winner, I don't know, it just feels like it's the buzziest of the group, so I'm going to predict that for now. Sorry. I might throw Affairs of the Art into the mix, oh boy. Really? We're going to have to come back here. You think? I have a feeling, I don't know. It does have the New Yorker attached to it. Which could help. It has some, yeah. Because so did um, last year, oh my god, your favorite documentary short, Colette, had either the New Yorker or the New York Times associated with it. It was New York Times, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you're right. That one was just so strange, though. Very, very weird. And last up for today, we'll talk about animated feature. The nominees here are Encanto, Flea, Luca, The Mitchells versus The Machines, and Raya and the Last Dragon. So our big precursor here, we have the Annies. The Annies have so many categories, though. They don't necessarily correspond to the Oscars. But I think just first and foremost, Encanto did win the Golden Globe. So that's kind of our big precursor we have at the moment. Uh, But definitely keep your eye on BAFTA. Keep your eye on the Annies, which are coming this week. Our first nominee, we have Encanto. We talked about Encanto on our release roundup. So I would go back and listen to our discussion on Encanto there as we go through our review. We also talked about it last week with Original Score by Jermaine Franco and Original Song, Dos Oraguitas. So I think what we'll add here today is just how did you feel about Encanto as an animated film? It's the buzziest of the bunch. It's all over social media, TikTok, Twitter. The music's been everywhere. I've been out and they've played these songs like at video bars. They played Surface Pressure last night. What? These are all over the place. 
And I think that's going to sustain it until the Oscars. It's kind of wild to me because this isn't my favorite Pixar. This isn't my favorite of the bunch here. But it's also surprising because we have three Disney or Disney Pixar movies, which is a lot for this category even. I could see myself putting this on in the background, but definitely listen to our previous episodes because I'd just be repeating everything I've said there. I think an interesting thing to note here, so it was directed by Byron Howard and Jared Bush, who also did Zootopia, and Zootopia won, so they must just have like a secret here to making (laughs) animated movies that do really well with awards groups and catch on with audiences. But they shared that, you know, after when they finished Zootopia, they wanted to make a musical next. They didn't really have like any ideas for it yet, but once Lin-Manuel Miranda joined, then it became this Colombian story, this movie with Latin American music at the center of it. I do think the animation in this is really beautiful. I do prefer like the classic hand-drawn animation in like 101 Dalmatians, for example. I like that era of Disney. But I do think the colors are very vibrant. I really like the characters here. And I do think the animation here, they tap into that magical realism that's at the center of the story, which I did really like. So yes, go back and listen to our Encanto episode. Um, We talk more about what worked and what didn't work for us as a movie. But to me, this is like a very traditional contender in the category. It's an animated film by a big studio, Disney. And it also has good songs in it and it has like a good moral lesson at the center that kids can really learn something from next up we have flea we've already talked about it today but i think in the animation department i really like how they use different animation styles to show his internal conflict but also the actual story which is how we connect to that so it kind of gives us insight into his mind and how he is trying to process it i liked that like hand-drawn aside that we got throughout i agree and i think one thing that i learned during q a's with the director that i thought was really cool was that the animation that they used part of the reason they even animated it in the first place was to keep amin anonymous And I thought that was really important to the story. He wanted to participate in the documentary, but he didn't want to physically be in the documentary in a way that you would think of with documentaries that we usually get, which are not animated. And I think that also they mentioned that it helps with a lot of times we'll see archival footage in documentaries that feature the real subjects of the documentary. You think about Summer of Soul or The Velvet Underground, these music documentaries, and we have all of that amazing archival footage. But here, we're totally going off of Amin's memories and what he went through. And animation is a good way to depict that when you don't have that specific archival footage of the person in place. The animation director for this film actually shot Amin and the way that he moved so that he could then replicate it. Um, in his animation later so it wasn't like a direct copy but he was definitely studying his mannerisms and trying to imbue Mm -hmm. the character with specific traits and qualities that the real Amin had that's giving me welcome to Chechnya vibes from Mm -hmm. last year I thought of that too next up we have Luca description here set in a beautiful seaside town on the Italian Riviera Their original animated feature is a coming-of-age story about one young boy experiencing an unforgettable summer filled with gelato, pasta, and endless scooter rides. 
Luca shares these adventures with his newfound best friend, but all the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. He's a sea monster from another world just below the water's surface. This was directed by Enrico Casarosa. What did you think of Luca? So cute. Love the animation. I think it might be the most creative of the bunch here. Again, like very standard Disney fare in terms of story. Like when news came out about this movie, it being called Luca, we have Call Me By Your Name from a few years ago. It does very much feel like a similar thread of a story. And I think by the end, this relationship that forms between Alfredo and Luca is really endearing. It's a very emotional finale. And this is one that I rewatched and probably will rewatch again. I love Luca. I really don't understand why people think it's like lesser tier Pixar or something like that. I think mm-hmm. it's great. Not to sound like Lady Gaga, but as an Italian, I also just like really connected with it. It's a really, really beautiful film. I think that a lot of times Pixar does these like very, very realistic looking films. And this one... It had like a more illustrated quality to it, almost like an older Disney film, which is something I talk about all the time that I like a bit more. Um, And Luca was no exception. I also learned that Enrico Casarosa, the director, he was also inspired by a lot of Japanese 2D animation that he watched growing up in the 80s in Italy. So I like how it does have that kind of traditional Pixar feel to it and is very beautiful and colorful and has these fun, unique characters and this deep emotional core, but it also definitely has a lot of the director's inspiration from his childhood in it, which if you're picking between The Hand of God and Luca, our two Italian (laughs) autobiographical stories here, I would definitely pick Luca. (laughs) (laughs) And the sea monster look was inspired by Renaissance paintings and like Renaissance maps. Mm. So I really liked that too. Ooh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So next we have The Mitchells versus The Machines. Description, young Katie Mitchell embarks on a road trip with her proud parents, younger brother, and beloved dog to start her first year at film school, but their plans to bond as a family soon get interrupted when the world's electronic devices come to life to stage an uprising. With help from two friendly robots, the Mitchells must now come together to save one another and the planet from the new technological revolution. This is directed by Michael Rianda. What did you think of Mitchells versus the Machines? I thought it was really cute. It had a great ensemble. We have Olivia Coleman, Maya Rudolph, Danny McBride, Abby Jacobson. I love any movie that talks about movies in such a loving way, especially with our Katie Mitchell character. Like she wants to mm-hmm. go to film school. She loves Celine Siama and Greta Gerwig. Like I just love those little details that they throw in there and yeah, I just thought that this one was a lot of fun. And I think when we're thinking about animated feature, sometimes I can definitely like lose interest if these are too childish or like feel specifically like they're made for kids. And this one didn't for me. This one felt like very smart. It does have, I think, some pacing issues near the end, but I, I did really enjoy it. Um, and it is one of my favorites in this group for sure. What about you? I know you love one of the songs in it as you mentioned last week. (laughs) (laughs) The end credit song, yes. I really like this one too. It's fun. There are a lot of different animation styles going on. Another emotional piece that focuses on the family dynamic and uses the kind of road movie device to bring them back together. It's fun. It's funny. It's not like 
too mature, but I think it's for like a teenage audience and especially with all of the social media of it. And this was one that came out mid 2021 on Netflix that did really well then. So I'm glad it stuck around. Yeah, me too. And I think worth pointing out that Christopher Miller and Phil Lord, they're both producers on The Mitchells vs. The Machines. They directed Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which used the same animation style. And Michael Lasker, who is a CG supervisor on Spider-Verse, is the VFX supervisor on Mitchells vs. The Machines. So if you like the animation style of Spider-Verse, highly recommend this one. Like They share, clearly, um, a number of people from each team, as well as... This like very kinetic, dynamic animation style. And our last nominee here, we have Raya and the Last Dragon. Description here. Long ago in the fantasy world of Kumandra, humans and dragons lived together in harmony. However, when sinister monsters known as the Druin threatened the land, the dragons sacrificed themselves to save humanity. Now, 500 years later, those same monsters have returned, and it's up to a lone warrior to track down the last dragon and stop the druin for good this was directed by carlos lopez estrada and don hall and it stars kelly marie tran and aquafina what did you think of ryan the last dragon did you see this in theaters or disney plus do you remember oh god i don't even remember a long time ago it was like so long <laughs> yeah it's almost a year ago yeah i did just rewatch it again on disney plus and i like that disney put out so many diverse movies this year Mm -hmm. the stories on the other hand felt a little commonplace and like too equation to like really get invested in them but i think for their target audience these are very easy to watch turning raya back on i'd remembered it pretty well but i was also surprised by the animation and again very colorful a lot of movement i think the things they do with the dragons here very much like Shang-Chi, but some very visually stunning scenes. Yeah, I agree. And I like what you said about these movies becoming more diverse. And that's so important when your audience is families and children. Like, you really need Mm -hmm. to do that. So that's good. One thing that I connected to Shang-Chi that I thought was really interesting is just this spiritual element to everything, especially with the dragons here. Um, I read that in Southeast Asian culture... Paul Felix, who's the production designer, he said that like everything has a bit of spiritual significance to it. So they tried to think about how to use the dragons to convey not just what was going on in their world, but how everyone was feeling in their world spiritually. So what did it mean when these dragons are gone? And what did it mean having them there? And like conveying that through the animation, I thought was really, really unique. Another thing about this movie is they shot it during covid So a lot of these animators were working independently, remotely, so they had a lot of challenges like working together, but they put together, I think, a really good film. I liked it. I mean, I'm, again, not the target audience for a lot of these movies and do have trouble stretching myself sometimes for these, but I did think this one was cute, and Aquafina does fantastic voice work in this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. But again, this is a movie like Encanto that I would absolutely recommend for families, like if you have kids. So what is your write-in vote? My write-in vote, and I I know I am being a little cheeky here, but it is a movie I watched at Sundance last year called CryptoZoo. Very bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) Love this. Definitely would be one of those like movies for adults that uses animation that could come in here. I thought the animation in this was fascinating like some of the choices here and this world that they create so 
I would recommend watching it. And I did want it to show up here, but I knew that it was a long shot always. Mm-hmm. What about you? I'm mad I didn't think of that now, but <laughs> I'm going to put Bell in here. The first few minutes of Bell are just your eyes don't know where to look. There's so much going on. And I think the animation is really, really strong. Quite a few viewers out of Cannes had trouble with the story. And I think, yes, like as it goes on, there are issues, but the animation is beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I definitely recommend this. It was in theaters. And I'm not sure about CryptoZoo if that's streaming or not. It looks like CryptoZoo is on Hulu right now. Oh my God. And I still need to watch Bell. I haven't seen it yet. That was one that I was going to get to, like, if it was nominated. But now that it wasn't and people are still talking about it and how it should have been nominated, I will watch it. Who do you think should win? There are two here that, like, really have my heart. And I'm going to pick the Mitchells versus the Machines just because it's very different. I'm always rooting for a non-Disney Pixar movie to win here. Mm -hmm. Sorry. But I think it's the most fun out of this entire group. And Like you mentioned, the cast is fun to listen to, and I think it's really one anyone could watch. Families, younger, older people, doesn't matter. I think everyone would like this. What do you think should win? That's a good pick. I hate that I'm doing this, but I'm picking the Pixar movie. I'm saying Luca. I usually don't say the Pixar movie. I like find something more creative. Last year, I said Wolfwalkers instead of Soul, but this year, I'm going to say Luca. I loved it. I thought it was really, really sweet and deserved more recognition it should have gotten a theatrical Mm -hmm. premiere instead of its straight to disney plus release no i love this pick this is my number two and what do you think will win i think encanto has this in the bag i really don't think anything else is going to come close really i mean i guess anything could happen but just feels like with the love and other categories like original score and song and just the craze around the world for this movie It feels pretty unstoppable. What about you? All the same reasons. I totally agree. It's Encanto. I think out of these three categories, we have two surefire winners already. And one that's like, who knows? Very up in the air. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was our second installment in our Oscar Contender series for this season. I'm glad that we got to talk about these and include one of our shorts categories. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll be going back to our below-the-line contenders. We'll be talking about makeup and hairstyling, costume design, and cinematography, which I know is your favorite category. We get to talk about Dune again three times. And for that episode, we'll have a special guest, James Kunofsky of the Out of Oscar podcast, will be joining us. Excited for these. You know, three more down after today and three more categories coming We're getting that much closer to the Oscars, and I love cinematography. I can't wait to talk about some of these DPs and how they work with directors and crafting these beautiful nominees that we have. I think it'll also be fun to talk about makeup and hairstyling and costume just because they're a little bit more up in the air. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see what James thinks and what all of you guys think, too, about who you're predicting. Let us know also about today's categories. If you agree, what short you think is going to win. Yeah, please Please let us know. (laughs) (laughs) If you like our podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Wilde Pod. And in the meantime, you can check out James's show, the Out of Oscar podcast. 
We are on an episode talking about Inside Lou and Davis. We'll share that on our Twitter feed. This episode next time is also so exciting because it means we will have finally seen Cyrano. It's happening. (laughs) We're going to see it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to tell you if this movie is real. But in the meantime, enjoy the SAG Awards. Let us know how everything goes with your predicting for that. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Bye.